Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. The devil never runs upon a man to seize him with his claws until he sees him on the ground, already having fallen by his own will. St. Thomas More Pierre sat opposite Remy on a smooth wooden bench inside the Priory's main hall and stared down into his bowl. Neither of them had slept much the night before and he could feel the fatigue settling on his bones like a wet blanket. Remy looked how he felt and her red eyes blinked back at him when he looked up at her. This could be worse than Lord, said Pierre softly. Others had entered the halls, nuns and scribes, as well as young novitiates from an abbey nearby. They were breaking their fasts and talking animatedly amongst themselves, the horrors of the night before not reflected in their tone or mannerisms. And I said the devil does not wait for us, and unfair. Remy snorted and shook her head. But no, Lord is his curse with an affliction beyond even this. Worse than Hell's Dominion? Pierre looked unconvinced. This may be something we cannot solve, Remy. Something that even you cannot fix. His ward shrugged at his words, but seeing his expression, let out a sigh and leaned forward in her seat. It is my duty, even in the face of such odds. It is as your Avignon Pope declared... We must surround ourselves with light to block out this plague and the devils who conjure it. And so we must. And you are this light? You know that I am, Pierre. Remy turned to stare at the hall and its other occupants. But I'm just one, and the darkness we face is thick and will not be easily shifted. I will need your faith in me. The Franciscan sighed, staring at his porridge with his spoon. And you shall have it, little saint. But this place, I confess, there are few things that I have seen to match the depravity that lurks beyond its walls. None, in fact. Faith, Pierre. That is all I need. I have not led you astray so far, have I? Remy let a smile cross her face and glanced down at Pierre's bowl. But I would be careful of eating anything branded from this soil if I were you, don't you think? 
The old man scowled to himself and pushed away the bowl, just as a prioress and another figure approached their bench. Margot looked flush and healthy, her skin almost radiant against her white cowl. The young woman beside her, by contrast, was pale with thick rings under her eyes and black curls that stuck out from beneath her hood like balls of twine. I am glad to see you are both still with us, said the prioress. Her eyes danced from Pierre to Remy and then to Pierre's bowl before tilting her head to look at the friar. You must stay the morning. I have arranged for Sister Lucille to show you the grounds after breakfast. Sister Lucille tilted her head. Father. Thank you, said Pierre, smiling at the sister, before turning back to the prioress. If it is possible, we may ask to extend your hospitality a few days more. I have questions. A darkness settled upon the prioress's face, but it quickly disappeared behind her polished smile. And I will be happy to answer them, father. But I fear you will not be satisfied with what I have to tell you. I am sure any light you have to shine on my thoughts after last night will be most illuminating, said Pierre, folding his hands in his lap. To see such things in the flesh, why, it quite beggars belief. Yes, I have many questions and would be most gladdened by your assistance. The prioress smiled again thinly. Of course, father. But please, that must wait until after breakfast, she said, turning on her heel to leave with Sister Lucille. Once you have seen the grounds. Aye said Pierre, glancing back down at his bowl. The porridge was still steaming hot, and flecks of honey had been drizzled over it in place of sweet sugar. His stomach rumbled, and he made to reach for his spoon before catching Remy's eye. His ward raised a brow at him, and then shook her head. Fine, said Pierre gruffly. So I guess I will starve here too while we investigate what has surely become the devil's land. And for what? An empty stomach! Remy snorted again, rising from her seat. Come then, starving friar. Let us see what unfair by day has to offer. Perhaps we can find you some crumbs to fill your belly with. So, you have decided to stay then? asked Lucille as she led them from the priory steps. Aye, for a little while, said Pierre. He squinted past the sister into the morning light and town beyond. The clouds were slowly clearing and sheets of light crisscrossed the valley, creating a golden haze that hung over it. Pierre paused as he looked beyond Unfair's walls, at the fields and forests that surrounded them. The earth was a churned mess of mud and upturned soil, and the banks of the river had flooded entirely. Roots and even small trees had been dragged down into its filthy waters 
damming the river in places and causing large pools to form along its banks. But Pierre could see no sign of the hellfires that had dotted the forest the night before, nor the telltale scarring of the earth where great beasts had walked. Val de Havre was clean, or as clean as it always had been anyway. It has been a time since we last kept guests, continued the sister as they walked. She was taking them down a winding footpath toward a postern gate nestled into the priory's outer wall. You must forgive us if we seem hesitant toward you. Many have begun to associate the outside world with... Devilry? Suggested Pierre. Quite so, said Lucille. But they will behave when they see that you are with me. What of the novitiates? Asked Remy, slipping out the gate behind Lucille. I see no abbey or monastery in these parts. Are they not guests? They are from Ilim, said Lucille. She squeezed shut the gate behind them and started walking toward the village, waving at them to follow. But they live with us here now, preferring the protection of our walls. Yes, said Pierre, hurrying to keep up. Your walls? Why is it that the horrors that occupy your valley spare you and those in the town? The sister shrugged her bony shoulders and turned to look at the friar. She walked with a slight limp, he noticed, and seemed to favour her one leg. Prioress Margot says that it is because our faith keeps them at bay. And do you believe that? Lucille shrugged again, but turned away from the friar. Who's to say why these things happen the way they do? All we can do is be thankful that we have been spared and that the plague has not visited us in our homes and beds. It is the price we pay, I think. Pierre merely nodded at that, but Remy gave the sister a sidelong glance, though if she had any further questions, she did not ask them. For the remainder of the morning, Sister Lucille showed them through a series of neatly kept gardens before leading them toward an old chapel house on the edge of the town. It had been built at the top of a low hill overlooking the churning waters of the river that encircled Unfair. The church's walls were chalky white and made from a thin wood that had seen better days, but it was clear that its windows had been engraved and installed by a master craftsman and the glass still shone as though new. Scenes from the creation stared down at them as they walked towards its doors, and Pierre felt goosebumps rise upon his flesh when he saw a panel depicting the morning stars fall from heaven. The adversary's once glorious wings were crooked and bent, and his hands and feet blackened as though by tar. The expression on his beautiful face was one of rage, even as he was dragged from the heavens by his father's avenging angels. Pierre thought for a fraction of an instant that he could hear their triumphant horns ringing in his ears and their spiteful laughs. He shuddered and looked away. 
The sister explained to them that the old church had been the original place of worship in Unfair, before the priory had been built almost a century before. In its long history, it had survived fires and floods and even a lightning strike. Its stone steps were still scarred by the damage it had caused. But once the priory had been established, the church was abandoned, and now it simply sat at the edge of the town, watching over Unfair like a lone sentry in the distance. Pierre knelt down to examine a stone carving at the church's entrance while they waited for Sister Lucille to adjust her boots. The statue was of the Mother Mary, though in the place of a lamb she carried a goat. The creature's square eyes stared back at him dully, but there was something about the bust that made Pierre feel uneasy, and he moved his gaze from it. Your boots are bound, commented Remy. She sat on the top of the steps to the church and watched the sister tighten the wraps around her feet with curiosity. There is no good leather here, Lucille replied, and no travellers to trade with since the plague. But plague or no, the mud gets into everything. We do what we can to preserve what little we have. Pierre frowned at her words but didn't linger on them long, and a brief spell later he was hurrying after the sister and Remy as they moved back onto the path. Do you know why this has happened, sister? Pierre asked as they finally entered the town itself. Surely such a thing cannot simply happen. There must have been an event to trigger it, perhaps a ritual or a summoning of some kind. The prioress did not tell you? Lucille raised a brow, moving out of the way as a wagon and mule trundled along the road toward them. She did not, Pierre called over the rumble of the cart. Though she promised to answer what questions we have after you have shown us the grounds. But forgive me, I am old and have little patience for... Patience? Lucille smiled, and it was not an ugly thing. She was silent a moment as they passed grocers and other folk who were going about their daily chores. The cobbled road sparkled beneath them as they moved deeper into the town, the rain having washed it clean. But still, a faint smell lingered in the air and Pierre could not identify its origin. It was a witch, said Lucille finally, once the road began to clear. She burdened us with this curse. She damned our town. Must have been a powerful witch, said Remy, wrinkling her brow. She walked just a step ahead of Pierre and Lucille and turned back to look at the sister. It's no small thing to open a door to the other side, and a greater thing to keep it open. She was very powerful indeed. Lucille sighed and stopped to lean against a low wall surrounding a strip of open land at the end of the road. 
She had us all under her spell for a time until Margot identified her for what she was. But by then, it was already too late. She had sunk her hooves into our soil and became too powerful for us to stop. Pierre rested his arms against the wall beside Lucille and stared into the yard. His eyes set upon a row of stones sticking out from plots of unkept grass, like broken teeth and uneven gums. He could see more of them centred around a pair of saplings in the middle of the plot. This was no empty patch of land, he realised, but a graveyard. He chewed on his lips and glanced at the sister. And yet the witch is gone, yes? She is. After her trial, she unleashed havoc upon us. We were only spared her wrath through the sacrifice of a few brave souls who managed to trap her and cast her into the flames of a pyre. It was then that she cursed us. And on that first night after her demise, demons stalked our valley. It has been the same ever since. Pierre made the sign of the cross and whispered a prayer to himself as a small procession entered the yard from a gate on the other side. They carried between them a small wooden casket, too small to carry anyone larger than a child. A man, perhaps the father, led an elderly woman and two girls toward the corner of the yard, coming to a stop at the foot of a hole he'd not noticed before. Pierre thought he could hear their tears from across the yard and let out a sad sigh. Have you contacted the Inquisition? Remy asked, her eyes fixed on the funeral. The hall the family stood in front of was isolated from the other graves and there was no priest or nun to stand beside them. A suicide then, Pierre concluded. Their ears have been deaf to our calls. Said Lucille. There was frustration in her voice, and she growled out the last words with vehemence. No one has come. We have come, whispered Remy softly from beside Pierre. The Franciscan found himself nodding. If no one else would help the people here, then it was up to them. Across the yard, the family had begun to lower the casket into the ground but paused at a word from the father when he noticed they were being observed. Pierre tilted his head and looked away, feeling embarrassed, but the man was already striding across the yard toward them. Father, he said when he reached the wall. His face was ashen and his lips dry and chapped, but it was his eyes that would haunt Pierre's dreams in the years to come. They were bright green and rimmed by so much red, it seemed all the man's blood vessels had ruptured and now threatened to overwhelm his pupils entirely. I am most sorry for your loss, said Pierre, meeting the man's eyes. Your child will be in my prayers. And mine too, said Remy. Lucille muttered something beneath her breath, but nodded sadly when the man's eye swept over her. Thank you, father. But it is not prayers I ask for, though I will gladly accept them 
The man wrung his hands together and looked at Pierre anxiously. Speak, my son, or I can offer you nothing, said Pierre. But it was with a sinking feeling that the friar realised he already knew what was to be asked of him. The man wiped his nose with the back of his hand and said his piece. It's only, father, if I could trouble you to say a few words over my son's grave. If you'd preside over it, my wife and I would be eternally grateful. I would consider myself in your debt even. Pierre glanced over the man's shoulder, taking in the little family standing over the casket, before blinking back to the father. Surely the prioress or one of her sisters? They will not, snapped the man. His eyes suddenly narrowed and he flicked an angry glare towards Sister Lucille. They refuse. Ah, said Pierre. He would need to be firm here, but careful if he was to avoid provoking the man's wrath. He looked close enough to the edge of his tether already. My son, I cannot preside over the burial of a suicide. I can only keep the boy in my prayers and hope he finds salvation by other means. The father blinked at him and then shook his head. My boy is no suicide, friar. He took a fall. That is all. Broke his neck tumbling down the priory roof. Pierre's brow furrowed, and he glanced at Lucille. Sister, is this the truth of it? You have my word, said the man before she could reply. I would not lie. Not standing over my boy's grave. Not today. Sister Lucille pursed her lips, hesitating before she inclined her head. He speaks the truth. It was a great tragedy, and your son has been in my prayers ever since. The man's jaw flexed visibly at her words, and for a second Pierre thought he was about to leap at the nun, but the second passed without the promised violence. Keep your prayers, sister. There is nothing the priory and your ilk can offer me and what's mine anymore. I ask only for the friar's words. And you shall have them, said Pierre, stepping out from behind the wall. He raised a placatory hand, placing himself between the man and Lucille. I shall fulfill your request. The man sucked in a deep breath and wiped his nose again. Truly, it is my duty. Pierre nudged open the cemetery's gate and waited for Remy and Lucille to enter ahead of him. Come, take us to your family and let us lay your son to rest. The man nodded again, his watery eyes looking like shallow pools against his pale skin. There was a hint of green to his flesh, Pierre noticed, as the man turned to walk back to his family. A sickly sheen that seemed to afflict everyone in our fair. Everyone, that is, aside from Margot. Sister? Pierre said softly, as Lucille passed through the gate. 
I would be curious to know why it was that you, the Priory, refused this man's son his last rites. Lucille paused, knitting her brow as a sad look covered her face. And then, it was the Prioress. She forbade it. The Prioress? Pierre frowned. Why would she do that? I couldn't tell you. Only that she did. Pierre let the picket gate swing shut as he turned to walk beside the sister. The cemetery's groundsman had let the grass between the tombstones run amok, and it sat in tall clumps nearly up to the friar's knees in places. The cemetery had an abandoned feel about it, and the Franciscan was not surprised to see the lettering on all the nearest gravestones was dark and faded. It is not within her power to deny last rites. Pierre slowed in his steps as they neared the father and his family. And even if it were, I can see no reason to deny them to a child. I will need to hear her reasoning for this and report the matter to his holiness. Lucille was silent as they came to a stop beside the open grave. The little family had huddled together beside the casket, looking to the red-eyed man for reassurance. He says he'll do it, said the man, nodding at the Franciscan. He'll say the words. His wife looked like she might burst into tears at the news and looked to Pierre with gratitude in her eyes. And still, that subtle green sheen to her skin. Friar, said the man, gesturing to the grave. He held a shovel in one hand and knelt down to grip the handle of the casket with the other. Pierre cleared his throat and took his place at the foot of the hole. He cast his eyes over the gathered witnesses, finally resting them on Remy, who gave him a reassuring nod. After a short breath, Pierre crossed himself and began the last rites. Requiem aeternum dona eis domine, he intoned, trying not to wince as the man dropped into the hall, dragging the casket with him. Domine Iesu Christi, Rex Gloriae, Libra Animas. Pierre paused at a splintering sound that emanated from within the grave, from the casket. The father spat out a slew of curses and leaned down in the mud to examine the box. It had split down the middle, caving in where the wood was weakest. I'm sorry, Friar, he said, looking up from the mud. There's nothing for it. I'll need to go and fetch another lid for Marcus. Wait, said Remy, staring down into the hole. She had a look on her face Pierre had seen before. Nothing good ever came from that look. Open the casket, she said, moving toward the hole. The man sat frozen for a second, watching as Remy clambered down into the grave beside him but he finally found his wits and shook his head. What purpose would that serve? I must see. Remy gave him an apologetic look and then kicked open the broken lid before the man could move to stop her. 
A gasp escaped Pierre's lips, and he heard the boy's mother let out a horrified cry as the contents of the casket were laid bare for all to see. God help us all, whispered Pierre, crossing himself again. Wrapped beneath a thin layer of white sheeting lay a malformed figure that only barely resembled a young boy. Its arms and legs were emaciated and curved in on themselves, while a row of ribs protruded from his chest like the ridges of a mountain peak. The boy's flesh had turned to rotten grey, and maggots had already started to eat through it in places. But it was the wings, the accursed wings that had emerged from the child's back that made Pierre want to turn away from the sight. And eventually he did, only to find the boy's father's red-rimmed eyes staring back at him. There was horror upon the man's face, and despair. My boy, he said, barely more than a grunt. What has become of my boy? Listening to His Black Tongue by Mitchell Luty. Performed by Anna Capraro and Scott Miller. Production copyright for Sentinel Creatives. Sonic Summerstock Playhouse is on the air! Exclusively on Mutual, the Summerstock Playhouse is an annual celebration of old-time radio remakes by modern-day audio drama producers, each putting their own special spin on a classic program. Don't miss a single episode, Sundays in July and August, only on Mutual. Better living through audio.